Welcome to the I Am In podcast. We are excited to announce that this summer, 2022, we will be recording our weekly summer speaker each Wednesday night at the Boise Institute. We will hear messages from various individuals sharing their life story in front of a live audience of young adults. Each speaker will share key times that God manifest Himself and prevailed in their life. It's the reason they continue to say, I am in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am Michelle Burke, the host of the I Am In podcast and an instructor at the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion. Matthew Swenson is a Boise native, the third of six children, and married to Diana Swenson. Together they have six children. Matt's career has taken him from the public school choir room to the religious classroom. In addition to teaching, Matt is also an accomplished builder and developer here in Boise. He enjoys spending time outdoors with his family. He has an undergraduate degree in music education, conducting, and a master's degree in educational technology. He conducts the Institute Choir, as well as mastering and producing the Institute podcast. Matt is excited to share a few of the times in his life when he saw God's hand and let him prevail. Thank you so much. Um, finish this sentence. And you're going to do it in your head. Don't do it out loud yet. God didn't send us down to earth to gain experience without giving us what? Don't say it yet. Don't say it yet. Think it. On the count of three, you're all going to say it out loud. Together. It'll be fun. Ready? One, two, three. That was right. Good job. Good job. I, I want you to finish the sentence with the word experience. God didn't send us down here to earth to gain experience without giving us experience. Oh, he doesn't expect us to come down here and go through life without actually experiencing life. In, in order to become like God, we have to have experiences that make us become like him. And that's hard. So imagine for a second that you're floating down a river. And in front of you, all of a sudden, there are some massive rocks. Now, I'm not talking like, like rocks like you'd like raft down. Like a river where the water is no longer. And you're coming down into this, and there's literally like four feet of water here and seven feet over there, but it's like 30 feet away. As you come down that river and you see those rocks out in front of you, you get scared. I mean, you're flying down the river. And you get to that point where you see those rocks... And fear comes. And I think that's a little bit like our lives. Sometimes we're in little eddies and we're just kind of circling a little bit and water picks up a little bit. We go a little faster. And then sometimes we start really moving down the river and there, we, we can hear something in front of us. We're not sure what it is. And then it comes and we see it. And that thing is scary. Now, I don't know what that thing is for you. I don't know what the rock in front of you right now is, but would you consider in your life right now that there's a rock in front of you? Okay, imagine for a second, there's some rock in front of you and it is an event. It's the next big event for you. It could be a mission. It could be marriage. It could be school. Um, it could be career. Uh, it could be lots of different things. Uh, even maybe just being here is a rock, is a, is a thing in front of you that causes fear causes anxiety. Listen to this. Doctrine and Covenant, section 88, verse 91 says this. 
and all things, speaking of our day, last days, and all things shall be in commotion and surely man's hearts shall fail them for fear shall come upon all men. Fear. We live in that world, don't we? I think we look around and we see people around us and their hearts are failing them and they're afraid and they stay in their home and they have a hard time going out. We are that regularly. So tonight I want to discuss how I think the Savior helps us through that as we come to him and as we let God prevail in our lives. And I'm going to do that by telling you five M's in my life. And the five M's are this. A moment in my life, music, marriage, a mission, and missteps. So we're going to go through these. This is like my life, but backwards. We're going to go backwards through my life, okay? So the most recent thing was a moment. Can I share it with you? Two years ago, I had a moment with these three individuals. This is my oldest daughter, Sammy. This is uh, their best friend, Ava, and my youngest daughter, Maddie. They were hit by a drunk driver two years ago. Ava was killed in this accident. And it was horrible. It was by far the worst thing I have ever experienced in my life. And I don't want ever to go through that kind of a thing again. I remember the anxiety that I felt before this accident. My wife and I multiple times had said things like, maybe Heavenly Father is going to take one of them home early. And one of our trials in life will have to be working through that because of how good they are. And I remember standing on the street corner the night of the accident where there is nothing in the intersection. The drunk driver was going 100 miles an hour in a 35, ran a red light. And everything went through the intersection and into the corner of the street. And it was horrible, just horrible. My wife and I get there about five minutes maybe after um, the event. The, the ambulance is already taken away. Um, my, my youngest daughter. And, um, and I remember hugging my wife and feeling all of that anxiety that I'd had before about worrying about what would happen if this kind of event happened in my life. Worrying about, would my children make it through that kind of event? Would we stay strong in the gospel? Would our marriage handle that? Um, at that point in the night, we'd maybe been there five minutes, we knew one of them had passed away, but we didn't know who. For hours, we didn't know who. Talk about anxiety, right? Tonight, as we discuss anxiety, I want to talk about a very specific type of anxiety, not the condition of anxiety, not the anxiety that is, is uh, diagnosed, but an anxiety that exists in our world that I think is sometimes misinterpreted as that anxiety, okay? That night, I had anxiety for hours, for days, for months, I had anxiety. I didn't know whether my daughter would walk again. Maddie um, broke her back in three places, her neck um, in, in at like C2. If you know Superman, Christopher Reeves, um, he uh, had his neck broken at C2 and was a quadriplegic after that. We didn't know if she'd walk. Just, just really messy and we were just afraid for a long time. Fear and anxiety were real that night. Let's keep going. Music. Okay, I'm going to start with this, this word. Damon is the word I want you to, to know because it is translated into the word demon. And when I was a choir director at Boise High School, we saw, sang a song called Damon. And it was really the coolest song we'd done all year long. We were on our tour and we were down in Salt Lake. And Mac Wilberg was standing up in the tabernacle on a Sunday morning for music and the spoken word and he did music and the spoken word the whole, my whole choir's there it was fantastic 
And at the very end of the recording, after the recording gets done, Mac Wilberg turns around and he says, is there a choir here from Boise, Idaho? And the whole audience is still there. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm here. And I stood up and he says, after we release everybody, would you be willing to bring your choir up? I'd like to work with them for a little while. I was like, okay, I can do that. I'm not nervous. I had no anxiety at the moment. I was sweet. That's going to be fun. So everybody leaves and we take the choir up and we're standing on the risers where the, the tabernacle choir had just been. And he says, what do you want to sing? Well, guess what my students said? Damon, demon, in the tabernacle. <laughs> I was like, no, we cannot sing that. And they're like, that's the only song we know all the way through. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, but we're not singing it. And they were like, no, we have to. And he says, it will be fine. And I'm like, no, Brother Wilbur, no. And he said, yes. And then I had anxiety. Because he asked questions like, do you know what this means? And I'm like, yeah, but we're not telling you. <laughs> anxiety existed in that moment. It was part of my life right then. It hadn't existed a half hour before. It didn't exist a half hour after. But in that moment, I had anxiety. Then, later in my life, I got asked to sing with Josh Groban. Yeah, I got to sing with Josh Groban. That was cool. I, uh, I had two days to prepare to sing with Josh Groban five songs of his and learn pieces that I'd never done and then stand up in front of one of his audiences. Those are big audiences. Anxiety like that. I had anxiety instantly and fear. I don't get afraid of standing in front of people. I don't get afraid of singing in front of people. But when I know Josh Groban is going to be standing four feet in front of me, I'm singing into a microphone that he's hearing through his monitor speakers in his ear. Definitely I was afraid. Definitely I had anxiety. It was part of my day that day and the couple of days before. By the way, I stole a fork because we ate dinner that night. I did steal. I'm, I'm, I'm confessing to you all. I stole a <laughs> fork. We ate dinner with Josh Groban and he had to leave early. And when he left, I got up and just nonchalantly walked over to his plate and I took his fork and I put it in my pocket <laughs> and I still have his fork to this day. I saw it this morning. It's in my, it's in my closet. Anyway, it's just... <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't as nervous in that moment right then, but later I got nervous. Anxiety. Okay, backing up. Another day. Marriage. I was so nervous to get married. Now, I wasn't nervous necessarily the day of. I had anxiety for months before, years really before. I wanted to be the right husband. I wanted to be the right spouse. I wanted to be the right dad. I wanted to have the skills that I knew I would need to teach my kids, to help lead my home, and I did not have them. I still struggle to have them. But I was anxious and nervous and fearful. And then I met her. And I thought, I don't know how to help her. I don't know how, I know she can help me a lot, but I don't know how to help her because she's so good. It's like an angel living at my house. And I still to this day get anxious about being with my wife. Can I help her? Can I, am I enough for her? In all the aspects, I get anxious about being with my wife. Let me read a, let me, let me read a quote really quick. The concept of soulmates is fiction and illusion. This is President Kimball. Any good man and any good woman 
can have happiness and a successful marriage if both are willing to pay the price. Brothers and sisters, don't put off marrying a good man or a good woman for any other reason other than you haven't found them yet. Don't put it off. Don't push it off for any other reason. But, this is from Elder Uchtdorf, to those of our single brothers who follow the deception that they first have to find the perfect woman before they can enter into serious courting or marriage, my beloved brethren, let me remind you, if there really were a perfect woman, do you really think that she would be that interested in you? <laughs> I think that's fantastic. And, and really, brothers and sisters, as a, as a younger person, I was fearful that I had found someone who was too good for me. And one of the things that I, was, that I was fearful and that I had anxiety about was that she would learn that about me after we got married. <laughs> and there was no out. And I wanted her to know that ahead of time, but I didn't know how to tell her all those dumb things that I did. And so I had to just go on faith. Marriage is hard. Don't let the anxieties that happened before slow you down when it actually comes. Okay, so we're backing up from my marriage. I went on a mission. Now, again, I served in Las Vegas, the Las Vegas West Mission, the number one or number two English-speaking baptizing mission in the whole world. One night, I got a phone call. Uh, it was like four in the morning. I got a phone call from my zone leaders, and he said, hey, we have a, a member of the 70 coming to speak to us at our zone conference today, and he'd like to come do an apartment inspection on your apartment. And I was like, really? He said, yeah. So I woke up my, my companion, and he and I started cleaning it for like four in the morning. This uh, elder from the 70 showed up at like seven. Here's who showed up. This is Elder Christofferson that showed up to my apartment at seven in the morning. Well, let me tell you about the night before. The night before, my companion, Elder Michael, uh, had this wonderful idea that if we put our helmets on, okay, now I gotta back up a little bit. It's my fault because I was laying on the couch and I took one of my socks off and I flung it at the ceiling fan and it flung it across the room at Elder Michael and it hit him. And so he picked up something and we started chucking stuff into the ceiling fan. And, uh, and it, 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 we were trying to aim it at each other. For those of you who haven't served a mission yet, they're awesome. Okay, so, so as this progresses, it gets worse. And Elder Michael says, you know what? If I put my, my uh, helmet on, I bet I could jump into the ceiling fan. And it wouldn't even hurt me. And so he did. If you notice in this picture, there are two blades on a ceiling fan. Because... Er because early in the morning at like six o'clock, I'm looking at that ceiling fan that was leaning at an angle and I'm like, oh, we got to fix that. And then I had anxiety. <laughs> now, when Elder Christofferson came, I didn't know who he was because he's Elder Christofferson of the 70. This is 1997. I didn't know who he was, so he comes. That's why I'm not like super jacked in the, in the photo I'm showing here. I'm just like, oh, yep, there's a guy standing next to me, him and his wife. Elder Christofferson, I have no idea. I should have had more anxiety than I had. But let me tell you about the rest of my mission. Because when I went out on the very first day and I knocked on a door, I had anxiety. Because I was about to knock on someone's door who I didn't know and tell them 
I would like to teach you about my church. And then when they said, okay, I had to know what to say next, that caused anxiety. See, I think sometimes we live in a world where the anxious experiences of our life, we are chalking up to, I have anxiety. And saying, because I feel like that when I do these types of things, I'm not going to do those types of things. See, my time was different than your time. When I liked a girl, I called her on the phone, and then I had to talk to her. I mean, I didn't have to. Sometimes, creepily, I would just call and hang up. But, but, but when I wanted to talk to her, I would call and I would talk, and we would talk for 45 minutes on the phone, and then someone would get mad at me, and I had to get off the phone. That prepped me, weirdly, for knocking on a stranger's door and talking to them about my church. Because an uncomfortable setting, in an uncomfortable situation, I had to work through, or I didn't have a social life. See, in our day, much of that is gone. You didn't have to call and order a pizza on the phone. You can do that online. And so fast forward and skip all of those social interactions that help you become more comfortable with uncomfortable experiences and put you on a doorstep where you're knocking on someone's door. You're going to feel anxiety. Brother Diebel and I were talking earlier today. If we went today to knock on someone's door, and talk about our church with a random stranger, we would have anxiety. Every day of my mission, I felt anxiety. Please don't misunderstand. Like I said at the beginning, clinical anxiety is a real thing. It is not what I'm talking about. But for many of us, our culture and our world has caused us to see difficult things in our lives that cause anxiety as things that I should not do because I have anxiety when I do that thing. And so we push them off. We push them off till later in our life. Well, you're never gonna get better at it unless you start, right? That process of learning to become like our Father in Heaven is a process that He sent you here to have. And the farther you push it off, the less likely you're going to be to get there. The experiences that you have help you become like him. And your individual and unique experiences help you become like him the fastest for you. But they are often uncomfortable. Remember that river we talked about at the beginning where we're floating down the river and we see the rocks coming? Keep that in your head. That rock, that thing that you've got going, the next thing in your life, that rock in your life, keep it there. I want to talk about one other thing. I'm going to be careful as I do this one. Missteps. I'm going to talk to you about a bishop's office. But I'm not going to get detailed. I'm not going to tell you about my missteps. That would be inappropriate. But I do want to tell you about Sally. Now, for those of you that had, have had me as a teacher, you know Sally. Sally exists as a fictitious character that I bring up all the time. And she's a mess. Or she's awesome, depending on what I need her to be. So in our experience tonight, I want to talk about Sally as someone who has messed up something and needs to go and visit with her bishop. Anxiety, right? I have had that experience, I will say that much, where I have needed to go and speak with the priesthood leader about something I had done and I felt anxiety. I thought that that was so hard until I actually did that. 
Let me kind of walk you through that. For months, I dealt with the problems that I had caused and the feelings that came with those problems. For months. And I walked around in a stupor and I was miserable and I was gloomy and I didn't know how to work through it. I did. I just was unwilling because I was afraid and I had anxiety. And so I made a phone call. Now, I thought when I made the phone call, I'm going to call and talk to the executive secretary who schedules the bishop's appointments. And I thought when I called him, he was going to be like, hey, so what did you do? And he didn't ask that because he can't. So let's jump into Sally's scenario. Sally calls the executive secretary. She's so afraid to do it. She doesn't even look his number up for three months. Finally, she does. And she calls him and he says, hi, Sally, what can I do? And she says, well, I'd really like for you to uh, schedule some time with the bishop. And now she's super uncomfortable because she knows what's coming next, which is, what'd you do? Which he didn't ask. He simply said, how long do you think you need? Half hour? 15 minutes? An hour? So I was like, two hours maybe? <laughs> Three? I don't know. And he says, I'll give you an hour. If you need to meet with him again, you can. Thank you. And the phone gets hung up. Done. You're uncomfortable. Sally's uncomfortable. But the executive secretary's not. But it doesn't get scheduled for three more days. And so now you've got three days of uncomfortable to go. Anxiety? Yeah. But you've been dealing with the last six months, Sally. So three more days? Okay, we can handle that. Who else is uncomfortable? Those over those course of those three days? N nobody. You. Sally is the only one. The bishop finds out that he's going to meet with Sally and the bishop's like, sweet, I haven't talked to Sally in six months. <laughs> Maybe the bishop thinks, oh, I hope she's okay. But that's it. That's as far as he goes in his head. So the day arrives. Now you wake up that day and there's anxiety that day, right? It's the day of. And you wake up <clears throat> and you think, I got to go visit with the bishop tonight. And so the day feels a little worse than the last six months. It's a little more anxious feeling. But you get there 10 minutes early because you don't want to be late. That would cause to add to your anxiety, right? So you get there 10 minutes early and you sit in that chair, that really weird, uncomfortable chair that for some reason has arms that are like way up at your shoulders and you put your arms on it and you're just sitting there in this awkward position waiting for the bishop to open his door. And for some reason, he's in there with that light on that says, do not disturb. And there's a, there's a speaker above the door that's like, Shh, so you can't hear what's going on in there. Like someone's like, no, stop, stop. And he's like, stop it, right? Because that's what's going on in your head. Sally is having this moment where she's so afraid of what's going on and what's going to happen. Well, so Sally's sitting there and, and, uh, in this uncomfortable chair, and all of a sudden he walks through. Him, like the guy. Her, like, guy that she's got, like, all these thoughts and feelings for, he walks in, and anxiety just runs through her. It's like liquid fire through her. And he walks in and he looks at Sally and he's like, hey Sally, what's up? And walks through the foyer and now she's mortified. She just knows that he knows why she's there. He has no idea. He was there to play basketball and saw Sally, his friend. Still awkward, still uncomfortable, but really only Sally's feeling the anxiety, right? And it's still the same kind of anxiety that's been going on for the last six months. So then the bishop opens the door. Now this is what Sally thought. 
door would open like this. <laughs> Sally, what have you done? And Sally's like, nothing. I, I made a mistake. I will, never mind. And then she runs out the door. That's what's going on in her head. But what happens is this door flings open and the bishop's like, thanks, Sister Jones. It was so good to speak to you. And Sister Jones is like the young women's president. And Sally, Sister Jones comes out and Sally's sitting like this. Sister Jones comes out and she's like, oh, Sally, it's so good to see you. I have a question for you. And she asks two or three questions about her day. And then she's out the door and the bishop says, Sally, come here. And he comes over and grabs her hand. He pulls her up out of that awkward, uncomfortable chair. Okay. So Sally walks in. And Sally sits down in the chair. I don't know why the bishop's officer set up like this, but that chair that's like against the chalkboard with like the, you know, the bar across your back where the chalk goes and you're like this. And the bishop's like nine and a half feet across this table over there. And you're like, hi, bishop, right? And so, it, so it sits down, bishop's way over there. He's like, Sally, what did you do, right? Ah, that's not what happens. It's just not what happens. In fact, in most cases, I would bet, now maybe not in every case, but in most cases, I would bet that, that Sally's bishop pulls up a chair semi-close to Sally. Kitty corner across that weird, awkward corner. Maybe he pulls up a chair closer to his desk. But he doesn't just jump in. What'd you do, Sally? Why are we here? He talks to Sally, and he finds out what's going on and how her life's going first. And then he says, ready? Awkward's coming. Sally, what can I do for you? And then awkward happens. Anxiety happens for more than just Sally. Because the longer Sally sits there silent, the more uncomfortable it is for the bishop. <laughs> if he says, Sally, what can I do? How are you? What, what, what's going on? And Sally gives him 15 seconds. I'm going to do 15 seconds of silence. Are you ready? Here it is. 15 seconds. Go. Please don't do that to any bishop, any of you. Nobody do that. Super uncomfortable for him. And you. Just weird. It's just weird. But that moment, that 15 seconds of awkward, that anxiety that you feel is really the only anxiety that should exist. Because all of a sudden you need to talk with the priesthood leader. And he's asked the question. So Sally finally comes out with it and says, here's what's gone on. And the bishop might ask a question or two and might say, Sally, I want to keep meeting with you. I'm so glad you came. You're not the first one that's dealt with this. You won't be the last one. Let me give you some thoughts. He'll open his scriptures. He'll say, I, I want to ask you to read and pray every day this week. And I want to come back. I want you to come back next week. And I want to visit with you again next week. So Sally says, okay. And within a half hour, Sally's standing in the foyer again. What? And all of a sudden, she's lighter. And the anxiety that she's felt for the last six months is gone because she spent 15 seconds of awkward, actual anxiety with the bishop. So she walks out the front doors, down the steps, into the parking lot, and a bus comes through and kills her. Dead. Oh. Sally's dead. Okay. <laughs> End of Sally. I know. How did, you, how did you translate that? That would be fun. Dead. Sally dead. <laughs> dead. 
for those that uh, on the podcast, there we have a, a sign language happening right next to me, and they had to do that. That was fun. So Sally, Sally dies. Now let me take a second and explain what just happened. Sally went in and talked to her bishop, and in the process of talking to her bishop, began the repentance process. That repentance process starts with, I'm sorry, I've messed up, talking to my priesthood leader. The process to overcome that sin, whatever it was, might take Sally weeks, might take her months, might take her years, depending on the severity of it. But the reality is, is Sally has started the repentance process that day, in that moment with her bishop, the right person at the right time. The next thing that happened in her life was her death. Do you really see a savior and a father in heaven saying to Sally, well, Sally, if it had, I mean, it was going to take you six months before you could take the sacrament again, so I don't know what to do, sorry. Does that sound like the savior at all? Does it sound like Heavenly Father to say, oh man, if you'd only given it like three more weeks, I could have brought you in. But the six months of anxiety that she was feeling before was doing nothing for her to bless her, to help her get there. You see, when you and I go through anxious times and anxious moments, which we're all going to have, you're going to have a moment where anxiety comes. That anxiety, I guarantee you, was part of the plan. Because isn't anxiety when agency occurs? When you are anxious, at that point, there's a fork in the road. And you either choose to follow the Lord's plan or you choose to follow the adversary's plan. That's it. So, brothers and sisters, I'd just like to leave you with this thought. Jacob felt anxiety when he was about ready to go teach his people. Jacob chapter 4. Felt anxiety. He said, Behold, my beloved brethren, I unfold this mystery unto you. If I do not by any means get shaken from my firmness in the spirit and stumble because of my over-anxiety. Anxiety is not new. It's biblical. In Timothy, we learn that God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I want you to consider for a second that river that we started talking about at the beginning those rocks that are in front of you. Because I think it's our perspective that really affects whether those rocks are fearful, whether we get anxiety about them, or whether we look at them and we say, hey, you know what? Those rocks, instead of smashing me, can actually help me get across the river to the other side of the river. And maybe what Heavenly Father is trying to tell you is get out of the water now. And let me take you on a different journey. Maybe the rocks are placed in front of you so that you get out of the water, you stand up, you step up, and you step across them to get to a better place. A place our Father in Heaven has already planned for you, but that is made conditional on you desiring it through your anxiety. Brothers and sisters, anxiety is part of the plan. Fear is part of the plan, but fear comes from the adversary. God gives us the power to overcome it. I testify that the Savior would not have felt fear ever in his life. Maybe anxious, 
about what he was about to do? Didn't we hear that in his prayer? Father, I don't want to do this, but I will. For sure anxious. Do not think that you're different because you feel anxiety. Do not think that you can't because you feel anxiety. Anxiety is part of the plan. Please remember, the condition of anxiety is not what we're talking about. The condition of mortality is. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.